Hello and welcome to Speak a Dogcast. My name is David Farb, Animal Behavior Specialist, and I am broadcasting from WOUF Woof Studios in beautiful Palm City, Florida. Thank you so much for joining me here again today. If you haven't clicked that subscribe or that follow button, go ahead and do that right now. New episodes come out every Wednesday morning and you're going to want to check them out. Don't forget, you can also follow me on Instagram at Speak a Dogcast. Now, have to apologize, there was no new episode last week. Ran into a bit of technical difficulties. You know, I'll tell you what happened. I, I recorded uh, one, of the, one of the segments last week. Recording was great. It was awesome. I finished it up and I went to listen to it. And somehow it recorded using my computer microphone instead of my computer microphone. Uh, my studio microphone, rather. Excuse me. And my, my computer microphone instead of the studio microphone. It sounded like crap. <laughs> it just sounded so bad. It was echoey and boomy. It was kind of hard to even understand at times. I tried fixing it up in post-production. I, I just couldn't get it cleaned up. I ran out of time to get it re-recorded and just couldn't get it out to you guys. So I do apologize it wasn't out there last week. We got the uh, we got it all recorded. Everything taken care of this week. <laughs> I tell you, technology, man. It's just not always predictable. Um, so I appreciate your patience with me getting that episode out this week, uh, but we have a great one lined up. You know, our first segment today is going to be on ignoring distractions. Uh, definitely have a story in there I shared with you guys today about my experience with ignoring distractions with dogs out in public. So definitely going to check that out. Uh, after that, we have a segment called how to avoid conflict at the dog park. Easier said than done sometimes. <laughs> so we'll dive face first and face plan into that one. Uh, then comes the next segment, the first pets, followed by our listener Q&A. Hey, if you guys have questions for the listener Q&A, keep them coming at me. You can email me, questions at speakadogcast.com, or feel free to message me on social media as well. Uh, we're going <laughs> to we're, we're gonna get going with today's episode. Oh, tell you what, stress, tired, it gets to all of us, doesn't it? We're going to get going with today's episode, but before we do, got to give you that trivia question. And today's trivia question is, what color is a giraffe's tongue? Yes, what color is a giraffe's tongue? I will give you the answer to that question somewhere in today's show. So be sure you stick around, sit, stay, and enjoy the podcast. Next on Speak a Dogcast, ignoring distractions. There are a lot of distractions out there. Yes, there are sights, sounds, smells, scents, all kinds of stuff going on. And distractions can be, well, just that, a distraction, you know? And it doesn't make the good the, uh, the walk as good as it could be. Maybe it doesn't make the walk as pleasurable as it could be. Some people will altogether avoid the walks because of these distractions, you know? These distractions become triggers and, and then the dog goes crazy and you know, obviously... That's not what we want, right? So we're going to go over how to fix those distractions. Well, you can't fix the distractions, but <laughs> how to fix your dog with those distractions. It's an important tool to have in your belt. And uh, really, you know, the best way to do it and what we're really going to be talking about, what we're really doing is we're desensitizing your dog. We're going to be desensitizing your dog to a stimulus. That's really what's happening. And look, I, I'll say this, without a doubt, <laughs> without a doubt, my least favorite distraction out there, it's the bad dog owner. Yes, the bad dog owner, right? They're, they're the, <laughs> the bane of my existence. You know, the, the thing is, it's not even the bad, more so than the bad dog owner, granted, it's the bad dog owner that causes it. It's an off-leash, ill-behaved dog. Oh, that one. Off-leashed, ill-behaved dogs. Look, as the other owner, as a person who has dogs that are behaving, 
there's not much I can really do about an off-leash situation. An off-leash, ill-behaved dog just coming at you. Your hands are really, really tied, you know? And look, it's not the dog's fault. It's not. It's it's the owner's fault. <laughs> it's a bad owner who doesn't leash up their dog or train their dog. And unfortunately, guys, there are so many bad dog owners out there. And look, I'll be honest. I'm just going to be honest. I'm starting to get really annoyed. It's starting to get under my skin and it's really starting to tick me off. The amount of off-leash dogs that are just so poorly behaved, you know, and the owners just don't care. (laughs) I mean, they're almost proud of it. That's the only conclusion I can come to because, well, they don't show any humility when their dogs act out. It's, It's like becoming all too common of an occurrence. Every time I go out in public with my dogs, I, I wish I was kidding on this. I would guess roughly 90% of the time, I say, I say every time, 90% of the time when I go out with my dogs, I come across an off-leash dog at some point, an uncontrolled dog at some point. Look, I was just out for a walk this past weekend. I had four dogs with me, and of course, all four of my dogs are, well, leashed up. Now, let's see if I can just try to get this story in a nutshell for you. I'm walking in the woods, you know, nice trail system, nice hiking trails, and I stumble upon a group of kids in some kind of summer camp. You know, these aren't like little kids, but kids. And I notice that they're petting a small dog with, and there's an old man there with the dog, and it's like a small, medium-sized dog. And, and wouldn't you know it, the dog's off-leash. Now, the kids all see me, and they come bum-rushing me, bum-rushing me and my four dogs. Guys, big no-no. Please teach your children to approach dogs correctly because that's just, that's the worst possible way. So group of kids screaming, I think I'm there for their entertainment. I'm not. I'm there to walk my dogs on a public hiking trail. And as I see, you know, look, I'm trying to be nice, right? I'm trying to be nice. I said, hey guys, you know, we're not, hey, we're not here today to say hi. We're doing some training. We're doing some work. And I was, I, one of the four dogs I had with me was a client dog. She's in training and we are working on ignoring distractions of all things. Imagine that. (laughs) And so I try to just walk by and make the best of a bad situation. As I'm approaching this man and his dog, I said, Hey, sir, could you, could you do me a favor? Could you please leash up your dog? Sir, sir, can you please leash up your dog? Nah, he's fine. Sir, can you please just leash up your dog? As I'm passing by the dog, the dog lashes out at my dogs, comes at us, and of course, not on leash, so not controlled. Clearly, the dog is not trained. He's ignoring the owner, even though the owner is yelling at him, then all the kids start screaming. Ah! I mean, <laughs> it's chaos. I mean, come on, guys. Simple solution would have been here. Leash up the damn dog. There wouldn't be a situation had this guy put a leash on his dog. You know, had the dog been on a leash, had a camp counselor been present, because there wasn't one to control the children, yeah, I mean, look at the liability in that. We're next to a river with gators in it. There's no camp counselor to be seen. We're on some sort of nature summer camp. Seems all good, right? <laughs> Jeez. Anyway, the dog comes is coming after me, and had the guy just leashed up the dog again, guy, wouldn't be a problem. So as we pass by, you know, I, as we pass by, I didn't say another word. And I get by him and I just kind of, you know, I put my head down and look, the whole time I'm passing by, mind you, not one of my dogs is reacting. Not one of them is reacting. No growling, no barking, no nothing. Sure, they were a little curious as to what's going on. Kids are screaming, coming at us. This dog is barking. They're kind of tired. I'm like, what the hell is going on here? Should I be worried about this? Dog? Yeah, but none of them growled. None of them barked. None of them lunged at the other dog. I pass by the guy, put my head down. I'm not going to say another word. And the guy has the audacity to say to me, you know, If you train them well enough, you don't have to have them on a leash. (gasps) Is this guy serious? 
I'm like, is this guy for real? He's seriously lecturing me about a trained dog when his dog is lunging, growling, barking, and ignoring his commands. Came at my dog, tw came at my dogs twice, by the way, twice. The level of entitlement, the level of ignorance, no, sheer stupidity. <laughs> this isn't ignorance, this is sheer stupidity in that moment. Now look, I always have to say there are different leash laws everywhere in this country. Different leash laws, state to state, city to city, county to county, you know, do your own research, know your leash laws. But guys, in the state of Florida, we have wonderful leash laws that say when you're in public, your dog must be leashed up. Here's this guy breaking the law. So like, I know I went off on a tangent <laughs> with this story here, but it just absolutely blows my mind the level of arrogance. You know what? I already said all that. Let's, so, so how do you deal with a distraction like that? Best thing I could do is put my head down and keep on walking. You know, now look, my dogs are on a leash. So even if my dog wasn't perfect, even if I only had one dog, and even if my dog in that moment, look, even if, even if your dogs are not perfect at ignoring a distraction like that, in that moment, your dog's leashed up. Keep walking, walk faster, you know? They're, they're gonna come with you, I promise, they're on a leash. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Hightail it out of there. Don't look at the dog, don't look at the person, just take your dog and get out of there. Sometimes that's the only thing you can do with certain distractions. And I, I know that's not what you wanna hear, but if your dog is working through this kind of thing, you know, it's not an ideal scenario to put your dog in. And again, you're not putting your dog in that scenario. This, excuse me, he's the one choosing. He's the one making that decision for you. Because here you are out in public, you're minding your own business, and he's there with his off-leash, uncontrolled dog. I can hear some of you saying, David, in the state where we live in, you know, I'm allowed to walk my dogs off-leash, and my dog is controlled. And you know what? More power to you. And honestly, I'm gonna, I'm, I'm gonna thank you. Thank you for training your dog. Thank you for working with your dog. Thank you for taking responsibility because honestly, I'm all for it. I'm all for, I wish we could all walk our dogs off leash. I can walk some of my dogs off leash. Nemo, yeah, he's not ready for that. He's a hound. Maybe one day we'll get him there. On my property, he's off leash. He does great. But trusting him in a new environment with that nose, different story. Even if I wanted to walk them off leash though, guys, I can't because it's against the law. It's not just for my safety. It's not, you know, it's not just for my dog's safety. It's for everybody's safety. But you know, I, I'm jumping off the soapbox. <laughs> Sorry, I know, but doing that a lot lately. You know, guys, people are just getting ridiculous. That's just it. I think you all know this in other aspects of, of your life. You're seeing it. People are getting a little ridiculous. And I do want to just take this moment to note and remember, we're not alone in this world. We're not the only ones experiencing chaos, craziness, whatever's going on. Everybody's got their stuff happening, you know? And let's just try to remember, even myself, to try to be a little more patient, you know? That's why, look, I, I tried to be polite with the guy. <laughs> I did. You know, he's the one in the wrong. He's the one being a jerk. Before the incident even happened, he doesn't have his dog on a leash and he can't control it. I'm sorry, you're a jerk in that moment. Like, that's just what it is. So I tried to be polite. Sure, maybe I was a little stern because of the you know everything happening, the madness of the moment of please put your leash on your dog three times. I asked, I said, please. I mean, and then after that, I chose to keep walking and not say a word, not mouth off to him, you know, but he chose to mouth off to me. So uh, I'm just putting it out there, guys. Can we please try to just be a little nicer to one another? It's not always easy. I get it, but whew, yeah. I, I, 
this is becoming a regular occurrence, guys. That's that's the issue here. This is a regular occurrence that I can't even take my dogs, client dogs. I can't even take them out for a walk without experiencing some ridiculous crap like this. You know, it's just, it's just, come on. Ah. All right, so how do we ignore distractions? <laughs> oh boy, okay, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I really am. I mean, look, I'm sorry for complaining so much, but just leash up your dogs. Leash up your dogs, it's not rocket science. Put a leash on your freaking dog. All right, so ignoring distractions, how does it start? <laughs> gotta get a baseline. That's where it's gotta begin, guys. Gotta get a baseline in your training. So what does that mean? Well, that means it's gotta start at home. It always starts at home, it always starts before you walk out the door, before you go out on a walk, it always goes back to basics. One of my most, you know, one of my most very first basic assignments I give, it's the kissy noise. You know, okay, kissy noise, real quick, make that noise, call your dog's name, Fluffy, take the treat, kissy noise, put it below your chin, get the eye contact, feed him, right? Kissy noise, call their name, treat below the chin, get the eye contact, feed him. What we want to associate is that anytime you make that kissy noise, your dog's going to stop what they're doing and immediately look up at you for direction. Okay, that's what we want to try to reinforce and strengthen. So if you start that at home, we make the kissy noise randomly throughout the day, and your dog comes bolting over to you, get that eye contact, good boy, good girl, give him a treat, we're able to utilize that tool once we get out on the walk, okay? I was actually just at a session uh, earlier tonight where this is the exact, uh, the exact thing that we have got to work on. Now, her dog is reactive toward other dogs when we're out on leash, and the first thing I told her to start working on is the kissy noise. And then we're going to start bringing that kissy noise out into the walk with us. Now, you know, among other things, uh, to, to re, you know, we've got to redirect their focus, a little bit of leash work. We're not going to get into the depths, the actual, you know, the really depths of, of leash work today. What we're really going to be talking about is the concepts of what you need to do to get them to ignore distractions. Okay, so we're not, we're not talking in depth about how leash work. We're talking about redirecting and how to redirect focus, keep the focus so we can get into the distractions, okay? So definitely have to have that proper walk under control, don't get me wrong, uh, you have to have the ability to guide and direct your dog's focus and that proper walk gets us there, okay? But the kissy noise is sort of gonna be how, our stepping off point, okay? Because once we start walking, you know, maybe your dog gets a little distracted, gets pull, you know, starts pulling, we're gonna use that kissy noise to redirect their focus, we're gonna turn around and walk the opposite direction from the trigger, from the distraction. You're gonna redirect, get your dog to look at you and feed them, okay? Now what you're actually going to do here, what we're actually doing is conditioning, redirecting their focus. They turn and look at you, they go the opposite direction from the distraction, ignore the distraction and get fed. So think about it, think about it from a perspective that they, you know, uh, uh, they get, the ears go up, they zone in, they get honed in on that distraction, that trigger, and now instead of them reacting, this is what we're gonna change, you're gonna make the kissy noise. They look up at you, you turn walk away, you reinforce that they're looking at you when walking away with a treat, and now we actually have a behavior we can strengthen. You see what I'm saying here? So normal MO is gonna be, hey, there's my distraction, I'm gonna perk up, but instead of reacting, we're, instead of letting them react, excuse me, we're gonna be able to redirect their focus with the kissy noise, and now we have a new behavior to reinforce and strengthen, ignoring the distraction. But if you don't start with that kissy noise before you walk out the door, forget it, you know what I mean? Um, so again, instead of, uh, instead of turning and reacting at the dog, maybe they'll perk up a little bit, but now we have the ability to redirect. They turn and walk away, we reinforce, and hey, look at what we're reinforcing. Your dog's ignoring the distraction. Now, if you rinse and repeat this exercise enough times, your dog is going to stop reacting. Now, if you have a dog that like really reacts, and I'm talking more on the spectrum of like aggression, aggression tendencies. If you have a dog that has aggressive tendencies with it with distractions, you know, ignoring distractions, 
I got news for you. That's the least of your problems right now. You know, just being honest, you've got to get a proper walk under control more than anything. And if your dog has aggressive tendencies you're dealing with, then look, this segment isn't going to be for you. Just being honest. This is for the dogs that have maybe like overexcitement or they get distracted or they, maybe they bark with excitement. Maybe they get a little pulley. That's the kind of stuff we're applying uh, for ignoring distractions. But if you have a dog that's taking it to like a red line level, you know, really... Hire professional guys, please. That you know, there, there's a little more going on. There's probably a lot more going on there, and we have to go more in depth. Got to do more than scratch the surface. So you know, really consider that. You have a really reactive dog. I'd really recommend getting professional help with that. Okay. All right. So again, let's just go through it. Dog gets distracted. I see them perk up. Kissy noise. Right. We've already made that clear on what that means. Your dog is going to immediately turn around, look up at you, and then you're going to start walking in the opposite direction away from the trigger, okay? Because now your dog has redirected their focus away from the trigger, it's on you, you're gonna walk away from the uh, trigger and feed and reward that focus. So now what we're creating is a physical process of, hey, I see something, I get kind of excited, but instead of losing my mind, we turn and walk away and I get rewarded for it. Now it becomes not such a big deal to see a distraction. You see, you're heading off that overexcitement and changing the pattern. That's that new pattern you're creating. So. You gotta keep it basic when we're ignoring distractions. Like, I, I look, I don't care if it's a lizard, a bunny, a dog, a person, okay? It doesn't matter. If your dog gets excitable and wants to go toward that distraction, it's all about heading off that overexcitement, being able to redirect their focus, getting them to ignore it by turning and redirecting their focus, and then walking away from the trigger and rewarding that walking away, ignoring behavior. Look, that's, that's really what it takes. That's really what it takes. And I will, I will say this. Look, if you need to use your collars for a little, you know, couple little collar corrections because it gets a little intense, there's nothing wrong with that. A lot of times when a dog brain really gets going, you know, when it's boom, red zone and oh my gosh, overexcitement, right? They kind of have to be jolted out of it. They do. Some dogs get like in this, like, like a racetrack mode where they're going like 300 miles an hour and we got we to gotta slow that down. That's too fast. The only way sometimes to slow that brain down is by using that collar and making a little bit of correction. Nothing wrong with that, guys, as long as you're doing it correctly. You know, remember, use a martingale collar, best collar to use out there, and uh, we want to be in and out with our corrections really quick. It's almost more of a pop correction. We don't want to pull. We don't want to yank. We want to make a nice pop correction. For the most part, really only using your wrist, in and out, okay? So if you do that, not a problem. That's what the uh, collars are designed to do, okay? So we redirect, they walk away, we reinforce. We redirect, they walk away, we reinforce. That is one of the best ways we can get our dogs ignoring distractions. Now, a lot of times I know there's one thing people really like to do when we get a distraction. You know, let's say we have a dog that does react to other dogs while out on leash. I see it a lot. <laughs> Instead of trying to, you know, like redirect their focus by moving them, by walking, by keeping the brain going. Instead of that, people like to put their dog in a sit and a stay. And then they try to like block their dog's view and not let them see and they get this forbidden fruit, try to grab or hold onto them. <laughs> I'm here to tell you, stop doing that. <laughs> okay. You're making it worse. You're making it harder on yourself. And you're kind of only putting a bandaid on it when you think about it. Like, like maybe it gets your dog to stop a little bit from reacting too much, but you're not really teaching them to ignore it, are you? You're still having to physically stop it. Tomorrow when this comes along, you're still going to be in that same scenario. So it's a band-aid. We're not really fixing the problem. Most of the time, you wanna actually keep moving. Don't sit, don't stop, don't stay. Don't just sit and let the distraction go by. No, you wanna keep the brain moving. Remember, 
they can only focus on one, dogs can only focus on one thing at a time. So if we keep that focus going and we keep that focus on you and the walk, well, it's a lot easier for them to keep off of the distraction. You know, it really comes down to it. The way we ignore distractions, though, it's by desensitizing, okay? We can't desensitize a dog without redirecting their focus elsewhere, without having the ability to control that focus. So if a dog is honed in on a distraction, on a trigger, and they don't want to give up on it, and you haven't taught them how to redirect, then it's just not going to stop. They're just going to keep going and going and going. So it has to start at home teaching their brain to redirect, teaching them what redirection means, teaching them focus, Then once you get out there with the triggers, it's all about going out the trigger, letting them see it, maybe getting a reaction the first few times, you know, the normal reaction. It's going to take some working through it, redirecting that focus. But if you've practiced those redirections at home, the redirections are going to be a lot more effective out on the walk. I I think that's one area people really skimp out on is not practicing redirections and focus enough at home without the distractions around, okay? So, uh, you know... Practices redirections at home so that, like I said, when you get out there, it's going to mean more. Look, it was kind of cool today. I'll give you an example. Uh, session earlier today, this was the first session. So, you know, we're just getting into it and the dog definitely, dog has some separation anxiety <laughs> with the owner a little. She has a bit of separation anxiety from the owner. And the interesting thing is it's very particular things. It's very, it's certain things. Like, for example, the owner can leave the house and the dog doesn't care and that's perfectly fine. However, today I leashed up the dog and walked five feet away from the owner with her and she couldn't handle that. She wanted nothing but to get back to the owner, even though the owner is standing five feet away. So here's what we did. The owner is the distraction, right? And again, as I said before, guys, it doesn't matter dog, cat, it doesn't matter what's happening, what the distraction is. It's the same concepts that we go about fixing this. So the owner is the distraction, the owner is the trigger, and it's no different than a dog barking and lunging in excitement. Okay, it's the same thing. So all I did Leashed up the dog. She tries to move toward the owner. I give a tiny little correction, provide tension on the collar. Again, using the martingale collar. Okay. If she moves toward the if she moves toward the owner, there's tension on the collar. If she backs up and gives up on the owner, if she backs off, the tension goes away and disappears. So we went back and forth a few times. She would try to go, tension, she backs off, disappears. She'd wait a minute, maybe get a little frustrated, try again, tension, back off, goes away. I would say at least four or five, six of those, right? Keep in mind how many repetitions it took for her to start connecting the dots. At least four or five of them, that's a lot. Now, most people like to give up after maybe two or three repetitions. They're like, oh, it's not working. You gotta let your dog figure it out. You know, you gotta give them time and a few times to fail before they understand why they're failing. Now, the dog finally figured it out. Boy, every time I go after the owner, I get something I don't like. But every time I back off, it goes away. So eventually, do you know what she ended up doing? She ended up giving up and just sitting down next to me and relaxed, even just a smidgen. Now, boom, there we go. I've got something to reinforce. That's what I'm looking for. I don't want her to be anxious. She relaxed. Now I've got something to reward. However, did I mention she didn't want to take any food from me? (laughs) No, not at first. I had to redirect her focus. Look, I even tried putting a treat right in front of her mouth. She still didn't want to take it at first because she was so anxious. But once I provided the boundary, the discipline, the punishment, believe it or not, she backed off, relaxed, and sat down. Now, once she relaxed and sat down after the punishment, that's when she was actually willing to take the treat and the reward. Isn't that interesting? Hmm. Then eventually she ended up lying down and relaxing all the way. Then I gave her a huge handful of treats. And the owner, this was so great because the owner saw the progression, you know. She saw that little progression and went, wow, 
It's incredible, right? You can see it. That's it's one thing I love about my job. The results are tangible. Like, it's awesome. You can see it right there in front of your face. The psychology doesn't lie. Then we kept pushing further and further. And sure enough, her dog started lying down much faster each time after she popped up. She kept relaxing more and more to the point that she eventually just put her head down on the ground and just relaxed. Awesome. We took that separation anxiety down a couple notches today just by providing that redirection. Just by provide, just by not letting her practice it. Redirecting and rewarding it. Not letting her practice. Redirecting and rewarding. Not letting her practice. Redirecting and rewarding. That's what it takes to start ignoring a distraction. Because it's essentially what her owner was today. A distraction. It caused some level of anxiety. I showed the dog the anxiety doesn't work for you. Correction. Redirection. Correction. Redirection. Then all of a sudden I showed her relaxing works really great for you. Redirecting your focus toward me works really great for you. And sure enough, she's like, well, you know something? I don't want to be anxious anymore. This isn't getting me anything but relaxing. Man, this is getting me affection, food. This is awesome. Why wouldn't I just want to relax? That's the essence of getting a dog to ignore distractions. We have to utilize our leash. We have to utilize our collar. We have to utilize corrections. And we have to utilize treats. You know, that's the interesting thing. When I'm out in public... (laughs) And I see all of these people that have dogs that are absolutely horrific at ignoring distractions. Not one of these damn owners has a treat pouch on them. Guys, motivation. Your dog could give two craps about you if there's a strange, cool new dog over there that they've never met. That's what they're thinking. They're like saying, dude, I I see you all the time. Whoopty freaking do. But there's a brand new dog over there with brand new smells. And I want to go check that out. In that moment, that is more motivating. I can hear some owners going, oh, but Fluffy loves me. Not in that moment enough. Not in that moment enough if, uh, to want to go back to you and ignore the distraction. Now, nah, that's where food comes in. Look at the hierarchy of needs. An animal doesn't need affection to survive, right? But they sure as hell need food, don't they? <laughs> so if they need food to survive, then that's going to speak volumes above your affection. Look, whether you like to hear it or not, doesn't really matter. Food is what we call primary reinforcement and affection is secondary reinforcement. Primary, secondary. Which one do you think is going to be more important? Okay. So again, none of these owners have any way to motivate their animal or give them any reason to stop listening to them. So let's see, there's no boundary. There's no leash on a lot of these dogs. There's nothing telling them to stop their bad behavior. And on top of that, there's no reason for that dog to want to stay with the owner because there's no reward. So no discipline, no reward. It's a free-for-all, guys. And that's why these dogs are ill-behaved. Look, even when I do come across an owner and they have a dog off-leash, and then they immediately scurry over to get their dog on leash because they see me and they go, oh my God, we've got to get this dog on leash quickly. Ah! When I see that, I know I better stop and wait. <laughs> because if that person doesn't get that dog on leash quickly, I'm screwed. <laughs> you know, like you know what I mean? They're scrambling to get to their dog fast for a reason. And sure enough, every owner who scrambles back to their dog quickly, that dog ends up reacting at us every time. Every time. And I just want to look at them and go, like, why don't you fix that? <laughs> no, don't get me wrong, I'm not gonna be the know-it-all. <clears throat> Excuse me. You know, like I'm not, not going to go up and, you know, they don't know I train dogs. I'm not just going to walk up and go, hey, you should train your dog better. Like, come on, they're not going to listen to me, first of all. And no one wants to hear that unless they're paying me for it, you know. <laughs> but that's the truth. 
Why are they not training their dogs? Where is the treat pouch? Where's the redirection? Where's the understanding of reinforcement and punishment? It's non-existent. You know, and I don't want to pick on my client today because she's great and she has such a sweet dog. And But she said to me, she said, I never really thought of disciplining my dog. I never really thought of rules and structure for her. And her dog has anxiety because she doesn't have rules. She doesn't have structure. She doesn't have boundaries. Now, I'm not saying we need to be horrible to our dogs. That's not what discipline means. Discipline means rules and structure. And then she said, you know, I provided rules and boundaries to my horse, to my children. I don't know why I wouldn't do it for my dog. You know, we both laughed about it, but it's true. It, it, it's true. For some reason, we see cute, adorable dogs and our hearts melt and logic goes out the door. Don't let logic go out the door with training your dog. It takes logic. It takes reason and understanding to get your dog to ignore distractions. It takes desensitizing them. It takes starting at home, getting their focus under control, and more importantly, kissy noise exercise. That's right. Get your dog redirected to that noise so you can utilize that tool when you're out to get your dog to ignore those distractions. Look, remember guys, you have to utilize that redirection. You have to get out on a proper walk. You have to be, be able to redirect the focus. You have to ignore, uh, excuse me, reward the ignoring the distraction. Once they give up on it, once they turn and walk away from the distraction, we want to reward and strengthen that behavior, okay? So look, the more you reward and strengthen ignoring the distraction, walking away from it, giving up on the distraction, relaxing around the distraction, the more you can find those moments, strengthen and reinforce them with food, the faster your dog will start ignoring distractions in public. Are you tired of your dog barking all the time? Or maybe you want them to stop jumping on people when they come over. Or does your dog take you for a walk instead of the other way around? We can help. At The Nature of Training, we are committed to improving the relationships and lives people have with their pets. No matter what behavioral issue you are experiencing, from an unruly puppy to more severe issues, we can help. Offering a wide variety of services such as in-home training, doggy and puppy boot camps, doggy day camps, boarding, and now offering virtual training as well. For more information, check out our website www.thenatureoftraining.com or you can find us on Facebook or Instagram at David Paws. Located in beautiful Palm City, Florida, serving all of the Treasure Coast and North Palm Beach County. The Nature of Training, helping you achieve success with your pet. Next on Speak a Dogcast, how to avoid conflict at the dog park. Now I'm going to let you guys in on a trainer, professional trainer secret. Uh, this is a very well kept close secret on how to avoid conflict at the dog park. Okay. So the secret to avoiding conflict at the dog park is to not go. <laughs> Come on. Some of you saw that coming, but that's the truth. If you want to avoid conflict altogether at the dog park, just don't go. You know, dog parks are a double edged sword. You will find many professionals out there, veterinarians, trainers, many professionals will tell you to avoid dog parks altogether. 
Now, I can't say that because personally, I don't believe in many extremes. And that's one of them, because here's the thing, like, I, you know, look, I've, I've seen some dog parks that are private neighborhood only dog parks of a small neighborhood. So there's really not that many people going there. And it's only those people going there. So you're going to become familiar with the dogs. It's better maintained. It's better kept clean. Uh, you know, things like that, that will set a dog park up for more success. So I'm not going to sit here and say to the extreme, oh, you should never, ever, 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 ever go to a dog park because I don't truly believe that. But I do truly believe if you really want to avoid conflict, just don't go. There's a lot of conflict to be had at a dog park when you think about it. It's not just in the sense of like physical conflict. There's conflict of medica- medical conflict. You know what I mean? How about a how about disease? That's that's one of the biggest things about a dog park. Dog parks can harbor disease. You don't know what dogs are coming into the park, whether they're vaccinated, what they're carrying. Your dog can get worms. Your dog can get all kinds of just nasty upper respiratory infections really easily at dog parks, guys. Easily spreadable. Uh, kennel cough. Yep, you can get it at the dog park, believe it or not. So that's the thing. It's not just the physical side, but then there is the physical side. Anybody who's spent any time in a dog park will tell you it's only a matter of time before you see a fight at a dog park. And unfortunately it is. Okay. And most of that stems from irresponsible ownership, poorly trained dogs and poorly socialized dogs. Okay. So, you know, there's that. And then I've seen people come to fists at a dog park, people fighting. I mean, there's all kinds of disgusting stuff that can go on there. So I'm here to tell you, if you do want to avoid conflict altogether, just don't go. Now, I don't want to totally scare everybody (laughs) who hasn't been to a dog park, but look, a lot of bad stuff. I'll be honest. I don't really go to dog parks anymore. Now, I'm very lucky that I run my own doggy day camps. I run boarding. I run boot camps. My dogs get a ton of socialization, and not only that, I know it's safe. I control what goes on here, and hey, knock on wood, boop, boop, boop. Uh, we don't have incidents, really. You know, it's just, and look, I'm not, I'm, I'm a human being, I'm not perfect, but we just, we don't. We don't really have fights in this house, uh, mainly because I be, I try to be as proactive as I possibly can. Try to head off fights, and I want to talk about that today, uh, specifically, but that, that leads us to the next, you know, the next point. Take your dogs to a doggy day camp, guys. Go to a reputable facility. Find somewhere where they have trainers uh, that know how to monitor these situations in a healthy and good way, okay? So that's that's really the best thing you can do if you want to get your dog that kind of socialization is to go to a professional facility. Now, let's say we are going to the dog park because, right, that's what this is about. This is about how to avoid conflict when we are actually at the dog park, so let's get to it. Um, First and foremost, guys, the first thing, and I think one of the best things that you need to be aware of at a dog park is your surroundings. That's one of the best ways to avoid conflict. But yeah, be aware of your surroundings. Look, anytime I'm at a dog park, I'm always watching the gate. I'm always watching the entrance of the dog park. I'm always seeing who's coming, who's going. I'm paying attention. Anytime a new dog is walking up to the park, I'm reading their owner's body language, the dog's body language. Is that dog off leash? Is it running up and down the fence, barking and kind of fence fighting, if you will? Those are not good signs. (laughs) Is the owner texting on their phone as they're walking up and completely oblivious to the dog? Be aware of your surroundings because it'll tell you a lot and it's going to prevent bad situations by heading it off. Again, it's always about heading it off, you know? So if I see that kind of owner walking to the dog park, I'm probably going to grab my leash and I'm heading out, you know? Uh, Is what it is. I can come back another day. But you can't control other people. You can only control your dog, right? So be aware of your surroundings. Be aware who's coming, who's going. Read your crowd, guys. Read the dogs. Read the body language. If something is making you uneasy, just leave. 
you know, very calmly grab the leash, leash up your dog and head on out. Um, but trust your gut when you're at the dog park. I will say that. Trust your gut. And if you feel uneasy about something, just go ahead and get on out of there. Not a big deal. Okay. That's the first thing. Be aware of your surroundings. Second thing, you need to have your dog socialized before you go to the dog park. Ah, but people go, well, David, isn't the dog park used for, for socialization? Yes. But what I'm trying to say is I, you need to teach your dog how to be sociable before you're going to make them social at the dog park. Guys, the dog park is full of all kinds of dogs and personalities. Think about it this way. If you have like a young puppy or a dog who's a rescue and hasn't been properly socialized, you take them to a dog park and they learn bad behaviors from bad dogs, it's not going to be good, right? They're going to pick up bad things at the dog park potentially. So it's very important that you socialize your dog before you ever take your dog to that kind of scenario. There could be potentially 50 dogs in a dog park, guys. You know what I mean? Like, that's a lot of personalities, a lot of tension, a lot of conflict, a lot of things going on. And if your dog hasn't been properly taught how to deal with that, it can go bad. Okay, that's just the truth. So to properly socialize your dog, you need to start just with one dog. Okay, one dog in your backyard in a controlled setting. Maybe it's a friend's dog, someone you know. Uh, that way it doesn't, you know, it's not it's not 50 dogs, it's one dog. It's nice and easy, it's comfortable. Then we can work up to a few dogs and so on and so forth. Test the waters in those safe kind of ways. That way you know your dog is able to handle a dog park type scenario. I wouldn't just throw them in there not knowing uh, how they're gonna do socially. So please, it's really important. Please socialize your dog before you go to the dog park, okay? Uh, now. Another thing, third thing here we're going to talk about, training, right? We have to. <laughs> your, your dog needs to be trained, guys. And not, and not just socialization, but with you. Commands, sit, stay, uh, recall. There's the most important one. Look, when you go to a dog park, uh, I mean, I, every dog park I've ever been to, there are rules posted outside of it. And almost always one of those rules your dog must have a recall, meaning your dog must come to you when called, right? If you haven't practiced that over and over, and hey, if you haven't practiced a recall in certain, you know, different circumstances, right? Let's say we're at our house, we're in the backyard, we've got a bunch of dogs outside playing, and the dogs are really excited and they're in the middle of playing. That's a great time to practice a recall, guys. Can you get your dog out of an excitable situation and to come to you? Because if the answer is no, how do you think your dog's going to do in a tense situation? You know, we have overexcited and your dog won't listen to you. What do you think is going to happen when they're in a tense situation at the dog park? Okay, so it's important to teach your dog these commands, the recall, these things in all different kinds of scenarios and environments so they learn to listen to you no matter what's going on. Really important. Uh, look, honestly, that's a pet peeve of mine at a dog park. If your dog doesn't have a recall, I'm sorry, but they have no business being there. That's just the truth. It can be dangerous if your dog doesn't have a recall. And it's not even necessarily, look, it may not even be your dog doing anything wrong. Um, I've had a situation before where I'm at a dog park, my dog's not doing anything wrong but another dog is pestering my dog, is doing something that's not okay, and just by being able to redirect my dog and get them to immediately stop what they're doing and come to me can potentially diffuse a tense situation like that, okay? So I, I'm just I'm just gonna stress it again. If your dog doesn't have a good recall, a solid recall with you, you, sh you have no business being in a dog park. That's just the truth, guys, okay? Look, these are very simplistic and basic things, but they're so important. Really, with these three things, if you keep these three things in mind, you're going to avoid a lot of conflict at the dog park. So let's remember, guys, you know, the first thing we've got to do, be mindful of your surroundings. Always pay attention what kind of dogs are coming in the park, what not just the dogs look like, but the owners too, what their body language is telling you. Are they distracted on their phone before they even walk in the park? I got news for you. Probably not going to go so good with their dog once they get in there. So maybe that's the time to grab your leash and head on out. 
Be aware of your surroundings, read your crowd, read the body language going on. And if there's something making you feel uncomfortable, get on out of there, not a problem, okay? Second thing, your dog needs to be socialized before you socialize them, right? Think of it this way. I'm not gonna take a four-year-old to a playground and go, well, haven't taught you how to share, haven't taught you how to play, haven't taught you how to be you know, around other kids, uh, here's the playground, uh, go have fun probably not going to end so well. So we have to socialize our dogs. It's the same concept. Socialize them before you take them to the playground, before you take them to the dog park. Okay. And the last thing, very important, training, training, training. Your dog needs to know commands, a sit, a stay. Okay. A recall. The most important one, getting your dog to come to you. If your dog doesn't have a recall, you got no business being at the dog park. So there might be the fourth one though, right? We got to add on that fourth thing, how to avoid conflict at the dog park, just don't go. <laughs> uh, again, guys, my personal preference is to find a professional, reputable doggy day camp facility because that's how you know you're going to set yourself up for success with socialization with your dog and avoid those conflicts at the dog park. Next on Speak A Dogcast, it's the first pets. Today on the first pets, we'll be talking about Calvin Coolidge. Now, Calvin Coolidge was the 30th president of the United States, and he served from 1923 to 1929. Now, he became president when uh, then president Warren G. Harding passed away. Now, Coolidge was the vice president and took office after. Now, the Coolidge family, they were always animal lovers, and of course, that's not going to change with their move into the White House. No, they brought a lot of animals and pets along with them. There were cats, there were dogs, there were birds, and even some exotic animals as well. And they had quite a few dogs during their time in office. Two of the favorites were Prudence Prim and Rob Roy, a pair of white collies. Now, Mrs. Coolidge, she spent a lot of time with Prudence Prim, and she often brought her along to dinner parties and posed for pictures as well. Now, there's quite a few famous pictures of Prudence Prim posing properly, say that five times fast, with the First Lady. Then there was Tiny Tim. Tiny Tim was a red chow puppy. He was given to President Coolidge as a birthday present, as a birthday present, <laughs> as a birthday present to the president. My goodness, tongue twisters today, because they both shared the same birthday, July 4th. Now, Tiny Tim, or Terrible Tim, as he became known around the White House, he was known for his antics, but he was the president's favorite. Now, they also had another chow chow named Blackberry, and these two dogs helped introduce the breed to Americans, as many had never heard of the chow before this. Now, the Coolidge's also helped introduce another breed to the United States when they were gifted a Shetland sheepdog. After the untimely death of Prudence Prim, two children in Michigan wanted to send the presidential family a new dog. Pretty sweet. Her name was Diana of Wildwood, and, she, and uh, chose her. they chose her because she was all white, as Prim was. Now, when the puppy arrived by plane, she actually appeared to be covered in black and white spots. However, when the president picked the dog up, the spots transferred over to his clothing, and he realized, well, it was just dirt and grease from the plane ride. Yeah, dogs weren't uh, weren't traveling. Well, I guess they don't really travel in luxury either today, huh? Uh, that's why I don't fly my dogs. Now, the dog continued to be rambunctious and constantly getting dirty, so the first lady actually renamed her Calamity Jane after the American frontierswoman. Now, they had other dogs named Peter Pan, Paul Pry, Ruby Rouch, Bessie, Beans, King Cole, and Palo Alto. Now, they also had cats and canaries. Two of the canaries were named Nip and Tuck, <laughs> and they had a mockingbird as well. Now, one of the most well-known and more exotic animals was Rebecca the raccoon. 
Yeah, they had a raccoon at the White House. Now, believe it or not, she was originally sent from Mississippi to be eaten as part of the Thanksgiving meal. It's a different time, guys. But the family found her very friendly and docile, and well, they just decided to keep her as a pet. Now, she was actually allowed quite a bit of freedom to roam about the White House. Wasn't always maybe loved by the staff, right? Now, President Coolidge was actually known to walk around with her draped over his shoulders, and there's pictures of Mrs. Coolidge holding her in her lap like a cat. Now, like I said, the staff didn't necessarily love her. She was known to rip up upholstery and even rip expensive silk stockings. (laughs) She wasn't always inside the White House, though. The president actually had a special house built for her outside where he visited her daily, and she was also known to walk around the grounds on a leash. They did have even more exotic animals that were given as pets from dignitaries around the world, as was very customary as the time as we're learning with this segment. Now, there was a wallaby. There were Peking ducks, a black bear, two lion cubs that came from Johannesburg, South, uh, South Africa, named tax reduction, and budget bureau. Love it. (laughs) All of these animals ended up being given to the local zoo, of course. Now, I think I would be lying if I said keeping wild animals at the White House would be unbearable. The answer to today's trivia question, what color is a giraffe's tongue? It's black. Yes, a giraffe's tongue is black, deep blue, or a deep purple color. It can vary. Now, I learned the answer to this trivia question a long time ago when I was a young kid. Anybody out there around my age can definitely relate. They remember the Nickelodeon television show, Salute Your Shorts. Now, in the episode where Sponge, uh, the character Sponge, is participating in a radio call-in trivia contest, and he doesn't know the answer to the final trivia question, what color is a giraffe's tongue? Now, it was the camp counselor, Ugg, who finally steps in at the last moment to give the answer. Any of y'all remember the line, hey, 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 I may be blue, but I know a giraffe's tongue is black. Hold you in our hearts, but when we think the thing came apart. We gotta wanna wanna speak, gotta wanna wanna live, gotta wanna wanna Next on Speak a Dogcast, it's our listener QA. First question today comes from Phyllis from Maryland. Phyllis says, My puppy keeps barking in the middle of the night and my husband keeps taking her out. I think he needs to stop him from what I've heard on your podcast. That's what I'm supposed to do. What should I do? Okay, Phyllis, you are 100% correct. <laughs> I'm guessing puppy is not like eight or 10 weeks or 12 weeks, even probably old anymore. Probably sounds like this has been going on for a while. Look, guys, when a puppy is really, really little, and of course, depends, size, breed, all that good stuff, but when a puppy is really, really little and they don't have the ability to hold it all the, all night long, sure, they're going to need to go out in the middle of the night. I would prefer to head off the whining if they, now again, Phyllis, this might apply to you if they're still this young. Um, you know, I would try to head off the whining if I know they're going to wake up at 2 a.m. to whine to pee, I'm taking them out at 1.30, 1.45 instead. So that way I'm not reinforcing the whining, you know what I mean? But we still got to get them out, eh, try to head it off. Tough thing to do. However, once they get old enough, once they start having the ability to hold it through the night, which believe it or not, guys, yes, sometimes a 12-week-old dog, depending on the size, I've met 12-week-old uh, labs, golden retrievers, bigger dogs, of course, uh, that have the ability to hold it overnight. I've met even smaller dogs at 12 weeks old, cockapoos and things like that, that can hold it through the night. 
not every dog is capable of 12 weeks, but keep that in mind. Okay. Once we start getting to 14, 15, 16 weeks old, your dog should have the ability to hold it through the night, especially if you're setting them up for success. So Phyllis, maybe you need to uh, feed your dog a little bit earlier in the night. Let them get their last drink of water a little bit earlier in the night. And that way they can relieve themselves maybe two more times before you go to bed after they have their last food and water. And that way you're ensuring their bladder is completely empty before you put them away. Uh, and that way you can convince your husband <laughs> you're doing right by your dog, you're doing right by your puppy, uh, making sure they're empty, but they gotta go to bed and they can't keep waking you up, okay? Yes, very important to note, you don't wanna keep reinforcing letting your dog out. I know, but they're whining. Guys, a dog will figure out, oh, every time I whine, this joker lets me out of the crate. I'm gonna keep doing that, okay? <laughs> they'll keep doing it and they'll make a habit and make a pattern of it. And now you gotta break that pattern. That's gonna be a pain. So I really, I, I just, I can't stress it enough. When your dog starts reaching 12 to 16 weeks old, depending upon the size, depending upon the breed, they are going to have the ability to hold it overnight. Yes, you heard me right. Okay, I'm not saying they're going to hold it for 12 hours or anything crazy, but they do have the ability to hold it overnight if you have them in their crate. So Phyllis, tell your husband to listen to the podcast and I'm shaking my finger at him and uh, he needs to let your dog, you know, stay through the night. Next question. This comes from Leslie from Vineland, New Jersey. Leslie says... Is there such a thing as too much exercise for my dog? I feel like she never gets tired. Good question. Yes and no, <laughs> right? Um, yeah, of course. Look, the, we can, there are especially, it, it, it depends, I guess is really the answer. It depends because there are certain breeds who can work for hours and hours and hours and not have a problem. There are other breeds who will work until they drop, and that's dangerous. Look, golden retrievers are the perfect example of it. Those dogs will work until they pass out gotta be careful. Some labs will do that too. Retrievers in general tend to really want to work, uh, really want to please you to a point that they will do, they will exhaust themselves. Okay. So yes, there is such thing as too much exercise for your dog. But if your dog, if you feel like she never gets tired, then well, she's going to kind of tell you, she's going to tell you if she's too tired. You know, there are signs to look for, of course, with overheating, uh, heat exhaustion. If your dog is panting a lot, change of color in the gums, you know, they're, they're lethargic. Uh, excessive salivation, those kind of things are overheating signals. And then, yeah, that's going to tell you it's too much, right? But that's not necessarily going to be linked to exercise. That could be more linked to heat. So you have to let your dog tell you if they're being exercised enough. Now, what I will say is if you are exercising your dog a lot and you feel like she never gets tired, what I'm going to say is most likely you need to improve the quality of the exercise, right? Uh, maybe the walks need to take on a little more of the mental side. Don't forget, Leslie, walks are 85% mental and only 15% physical. So it's really important that you get that 85% side fulfilled because if you're only getting the physical stuff out, yeah, your dog's never going to be truly tired. You've got to get your dog mentally engaged. The walk is the best way to do it. Teach your dog tricks. Go to teach them agility. Uh, there's a lot of other things we can do. If it's a retriever, teach them to retrieve. Uh, put different structure to the retrieve. You know, throw, tell them to sit, stay, throw the ball, and then release them to go get the ball. There's all kinds of different fun things we can do. You can go reference a lot of my uh, other podcast segments. There's great ways to keep your dog stimulated, excited. But what I would say is, yes, there can be too much exercise. There can be such a thing as too much exercise. You have to know your breed. You have to know your dog. Be mindful of the weather. It is summer. Let's be cautious of that. Okay. Uh, we did an episode about that. What last That was last episode of the summer. So go check that out too. Um, <laughs> but definitely be careful. 
But yeah, there is such a thing as too much exercise, but know your dog. Just know your dog, know your breed, pay attention to the signs. But if you feel like you're exercising, exercising, and it's not doing what it should, then get the mental side of it going more. Improve the quality of the walk, improve the quality of playtime, and you'll be surprised how much more, well, tired, <laughs> in a good way, your dog will get. That'll wrap up the podcast today. Thank you so much for listening in. If you haven't clicked that follow or subscribe button, go ahead and do so right now. If you love what you're hearing, leave me that five-star rating. Have a wonderful week, and don't forget, get out there and walk your dog. Oh, 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 oh